Hey, today we're, we're in Acts, the church on the move, defending God, not self. Now, I, I'm going to tell you a couple of things. In the next service, we're going to ordain some new deacons at the end of the service. And uh, so I've got to go fast in the second service especially and talk shorter. So I'm going to try to practice. I've already blown that. I won't do as much what I just did in that service. Uh, but secondly, the passage I'm going to cover today, we could go every week for two months and still not cover everything. It's a bunch. So I literally am going to be skimming across the waves, like skipping a rock and getting like 10 skips out of it. That's what it's going to look like. And each little part of this, you can go so deep into history and context. You do know that a, that a scripture text without its context is a pretext. Right? People pull a verse out. Uh, for instance, uh, here's a verse we all love to say. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Thoughts of good, the thoughts I have for you. Thoughts of good, not of evil, to bring you to an expected end. Right? That is in the midst of God telling Jeremiah, y'all are going to get captured and carried away into captivity. We all think, oh, it's such a blessing promise. No, the promise is you go into slavery for 70 years and then I'm going to bring you back. So don't grab a text out of the context without understanding what God is actually trying to say. He's not saying, don't worry about everything's going to be all right. He's saying, I got this. I know what I'm doing. It'll be all right eventually, okay? Romans 8 says the same thing, that all things work together for the good of those who love God. All things work, not just the good things. It doesn't mean you're going to get good things. It means even the bad stuff is ultimately going to bring God glory. You follow me? Well, Stephen here is using the whole Old Testament as the context. It is amazing what Stephen does in this passage. And, and I really hope uh, that, that you could see it. I, I, I used to... Um, wow. I don't, I don't want to admit my sin is why I'm stopping. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, well, if, I don't want to educate any kids here today. But I learned if you don't say certain things, people... Mine won't go there. For instance, I think I told you all this. I told somebody this. My wife told me probably. I should never tell stories like this. But I was a teenager. We did bus ministry. My best friend and I, we came in. My mom would make us lunch. He stayed most Saturdays at my house and because uh, he lived like 45 minutes away. But 45 minutes away was his house on the beach. So some days we'd go to his house after bus ministry, but I'd have to come back home. But he would generally stay in my, with, with me. And my mom would make us lunch, and we loved it when she made tacos. That was a great Saturday lunch. And so one Saturday, we come in from bus ministry, and my mom says, I, I need some whatever, beans or something. And, and would you go to the store and get it? And our store was Winn-Dixie. All right, it's about five minutes by car away. So we jump in the car, we go, and he used to race motorcycles. So we stopped the magazine rack, and we're looking at a motocross magazine at, about, at the motorcycles. And then we went, oh, man, the time. And we took off, got the stuff. I went home. My mom said, man, what took so long? And I said, you should have seen those lines. Now, there weren't any lines, but she should have seen them. <laughs> she never asked were they long or not. She just accepted that that was that. Well, that's called deceit, okay? That's lying. I've repented of that, okay? I don't do that anymore. But that was just flat-out lying, wasn't it? Well, what happens here is that we know that they lied about Stephen and what they said is not true, and Stephen doesn't defend himself. He goes back and gives them the whole context of God and the Jewish people's relationship with God, and then turns that so that they can see that Stephen 
had not done what he was accused of. He'd done what was right. But he does it without ever defending himself. It is an amazing passage of Scripture. There's a lot of background we don't know. Uh, I, I was discussing this this morning with, with Brother Bobby Sims. And, and uh, one of the realizations is this. I, I, I said it a couple of weeks ago. And I, I meant it just as a thought provoker. Because I, I love our deacons. I love deacons. Period. But here's a guy who is, is supposed to be a deacon talking to guys who teach the Old Testament and he beats them. How does that happen? That'd be like a kindergartner coming in and telling you how to fix your car and knowing better than you do and you've been a mechanic your whole life. That's sort of the re- relationship. I just made that one up. I hope that translates to you somehow. Stephen shouldn't have known what he knew, but there's a couple of reasons. Number one, he, he might have studied the scriptures. He, he, he obviously went to whatever the Jewish form of Sunday school is. He knew the stories of the Old Testament. And, and, and secondly, the Holy Spirit's obviously filling him and helping him with this, right? But what about the discipleship of the apostles in Stephen's life to help him understand this? You see, it's real important that we communicate these truths to each other. I hope that you stay or go to Sunday school in our gospel project today. You're going to be studying about the promises of God. This is part of Stephen. Stephen will be uh, hitting on that. It, it, it's not one-to-one that you're not going to be studying this in Sunday school. But the same idea is what Stephen did. He showed them God's promises and how they rejected them through history. Sorry, I feel really dry this morning. And so... Um, so, so you need to, to see that. And, and back in chapter 6 and verse 10, I, I want you to notice this. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Here he is talking to, to guys who know the law and they can't argue against him. And don't forget, Saul is probably one of these guys at this, at this time. Because Saul's there... We're not going to get to his stoning today, but Saul is there when they stone him, so it stands the reason he was there when they tried him, right? And Saul couldn't beat Stephen. Now that's saying something, because God had made, prepared Saul to write 13 books of the New Testament, of which there are only, how many? In the New Testament only. Thank you, very good. Yay, y'all hear that? 66 in the Bible, 27 in the New Testament, 39, 3 times 9 is 27. I hope you remember that. All right? That's good, man. Awesome. You get extra piece of candy at Fallapalooza for that. That's a promise I don't know if, how we'll keep. But anyway. And so, so what, I, what I'm saying is from this, you and I ought to be encouraged that when somebody comes at us, we ought to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Right? And if you feel inadequate to that, then make yourself a student, but ask questions, learn, read, get with people who do know. Because here's, here's what I want you to take home with you today. Rejecting God can be a religious thing. Were, were any of these guys not religious? No, they were, man, they, they were so tight when they walked, they squeaked. I mean... You know, they're, they're just, they are uptight, keeping the law, in their opinion, keeping the law accurately, like we don't eat, we don't eat crabs and shrimp and, and pork, all that stuff. You know, we're, we're strict, 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 strict. We, we wear garments, we, don't, we, we, we never cut our beards, we, we are very, 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 very strict. We keep the law. 
totally lost. You know, I meet Baptists like that. They'd rather be Baptists than saved. You know what I'm talking about? I, I, in a former church, we were close to a Christian church. And, and, and one of the members said, you know, about, we got about a third of us are Baptists because that happens. And I said, yeah, that's how it is at our church, too. The rest of us are saved. Right? And, and, and we get so uptight about things that are not important. And Stephen here is talking to these people who are religious but lost. And he shows them that in every instance their forefathers had rejected God. And that's what they're doing now with Stephen. So now that is the big thing that Stephen does. Takes him 52 verses to do it. 52 or 53. 53 verses to do it. So I'm not going to be able to read all those. I'm going to read two ver- a few verses. If you'll stand up, we'll read verse 1, and then we're going to skip down to verse 51 and read to 53. And the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, and that's the last anybody got to say anything for a while. Verse 51 is the conclusion Stephen has. I, I, like I said, I could do this. It would take me two to three months, or we can do it all in one Sunday. So we're going to shoot for a Sunday. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Let's pray. Father... In our New Testament life, Lord, we forget that we can become just like these Pharisees, just like these keepers of the law who hated, who hated literally the thing that they professed to love and kill those who brought the message. Lord, it seems impossible, but Satan is such a deceiver. He gets us all wound up in religion he gets us wound up in things that we wish were so that are that are not even close to the reality of who you are and what you want us to to know and to be and to do lord we 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 fly into into fanciful things when the reality is much deeper and stronger and better than the fantasy lord we want to know you we want to adore you we humble ourselves right now For, Lord, we are not wise. We are not smart. We do not have the ability to even reason as a man. We need the Holy Spirit right now to show us your truth. Lord Jesus, you poured the Spirit out on us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for putting yourself in that volunteer position of of teaching us about Christ. And of filling us with power that we might know Christ. We thank you, Jesus, for paying the price on that wondrous cross. That, that where you bled and died, that we could live and to know you. We look forward to meeting you face to face in heaven with eyes, of, uh, with, with eyes of sight, not just eyes of faith. And we thank you, Father, that your sovereign will would allow all of this and, and ordain it to be so. Lord, we pray now in Jesus' name, indeed, that you would show up. And that you would show us marvelous truths out of your word. Open our eyes, O Holy Spirit. That we might see the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Y'all be seated if you'd like. And after that first song, you said, be seated. I said, what if I can't? Man, that was, a, that was great. See, I get to do it twice, so I get to come back and sing it again. Y'all ought to try that sometime. I, I, here, here's the deal. This, the Pharisees ask Stephen, I mean, talk about an open invitation. Are these things so? <laughs> now, it, the question is in reference to the accusation that he was against he was against God. He was against the law. He was, he was against uh, the Jewish traditions. He's against Moses. He's against the temple. And, and all of us go defensive when somebody accuses us. I had a really wise man tell me one time, because he lived his life where people wouldn't ask him questions, basically. He was a principal of a school, and he illustrated by telling me, and a full trash can is never a problem until somebody walks in and says, why is your trash can full? Now it's a problem. So here's Stephen preaching Jesus and people are like, we don't like that. And so they get angry at him and they drag him into this council and say, he did this, he did this, he did that. And instead of going defensive, Stephen goes offensive. He just, he starts going at them and winning the argument, not by defense or defending himself, but by showing the truth. And in fact, next week when we get to his death, his stoning, you will see the demonic reaction of the mob, which is the mob is always demonic, of when you don't have the truth and an argument, you resort to violence. Let that sink in before you vote in a week, in a few days. Answering accusations to the glory of God. That's what he does first. And, uh, and I just put answering accusations. I don't know if you can see that or not. I made these this week, so they may not be that, that, that good. And, and, and by the way, Katie and Mark are in, uh, in um, Turkey, so be praying for them uh, while they're over there. Um, but what he does in these 50 verses is he answers these accusations, but to the glory of God. I want you to see what he did. He did a very smart thing. I'm going to let you know how my sermons uh, kind of go. And, and up till today, they've been on your app, the, all my study notes. Uh, they didn't get put in there today because, like I said, Katie's gone. But it says in verse 1, And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers. Now, why did he say that? What he's saying is, I'm one of you. You're one of me. We're all brothers. You're my fathers. He's showing respect to the elders that are in front of him, the teachers. That's just a sign of respect. Uh, you may have noticed, you know, today I'm, I'm kind of dressed up. We're, we're ordaining deacons next service, and I wanted to outdress them, so I, I did my best. This is my newest suit, my newest shoes, my oldest tie. We're good. Um, not really, but uh, I, I tried to do good. I'll only tell you that because when I was in seminary, I debated in a, in a class about, in, about the church and you, in that class, you could either have to write a paper or you could debate. Well, duh, I can talk, so I'm going to debate. And on, and on my team was a third down from Richard Nixon when he was the president. Harry Denny, he's a lawyer, and he was there getting his uh, act together so he could be used of God. And uh, so we debated. So I figured, and I was debating, <laughs> here's the fun part, I was debate, debating for the Presbyterian form of, gov of church government. And I'm a Baptist. I'm debating against my brothers and sisters. So I thought, you know what? You're going to show up to a debate. If they kill you, you ought to look good so they don't have to redress you get in the coffin, right? 
So I wore a three-piece black suit. I had a gold chain pocket watch thing, white shirt, red tie, man, I would power, power suit. So we finished the debate, and I'm walking to the lunchroom with my two friends, and they're on either side, and they're dressed normally. And I was dressed something like this. And here came the biggest mentor of my life, a, a man, just a godly man's in heaven now. Dr. Burchett is walking toward us. And he was, he was a Baptist. He's hilar- he was hilariously funny, but he was real quiet. You didn't know it. And he looked up, and he said, good morning, gentlemen. Reverend, and he just walked on by. It was hilarious because he knew, you know, I knew he didn't like that title, neither do I. Here's what Stephen's doing. He's identifying with them. Now, if you could see my outlines, which don't say much more than that, but I put the same words down the left side every week. Me, we, God, you, we. And here's what that means. First of all, you got to identify with me. You got to know I'm, you want to listen to me. Then secondly, I need to apply it to all of us. Then thirdly, well, what does God say about it? Fourthly, how do we apply that? And then fifthly, what would it look like if we all did apply that? Now, I don't always do all those things perfectly or sometimes don't do all of them at all. But that is exactly what Stephen does here. He identifies them. He tells them what God says. And then he tells them what they need to do about it. And he says, fathers and brothers. But then after he greets them... What is the very first person, or who is the very first person he mentions? Hear me, and then he says, the God of glory. Now, I did not realize until I was looking at this, what an amazing title of God that is. You can read in scriptures a lot of titles of God, names of God. And most of the titles are repeated several times. This one is only used twice in the Bible. And this is one of those instances. The other place it is used is in Psalm 29, 3. And I'm I'm just going to turn over there so you can hear it. In fact, I'm going to fix my ribbon for the next service. So I don't have to do what I just did. Psalm 29, 3 says this. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. It's a reference to creation. So why does he call God, or mention God as the God of glory? Because God's glory is the most rich and complete description of the almighty, holy, sovereign God. God's glory is what God is all about. It is an interesting subject to study. In fact, I don't think any of us will ever comprehend God's glory, especially on this side. Because his glory is the composite of all of his attributes. Everything God is is summed up in the word glory. There's another reference to God's glory, even though it's not the title of God. And that's in Exodus 33 and verses 18 and 19. And you don't have to turn there. I would write down that reference if I were you, just so you can read it later. But Exodus 33, 18 and 19, maybe you're fast with the fingers and you want to get there. And it was when Moses said, Lord, let me see you. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your We sing a song about that, don't we, Pastor Andy? Show me your glory. He said, I will make all my... And and, uh, 
Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. It says the Lord, but it's translated. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. And I'll show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And he puts him in a little crack in the mountain and he walks and he puts his hand over his eyes until he gets past him and takes his hand away and lets him see his back. And that was to keep him from dying for seeing, from seeing God. Moses saw God with his naked eye and God says, you'll see my glory. It is the summation of all God is. Now, I'm going to quote some scriptures to you. You can Write them down or look there. John 1, 1, John 1, 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Stephen is convinced that Jesus is Yahweh, and He is. They, God the Father, God the Son share that title, by the way. Because God is one. The three are the I am who I am. You remember when they came to arrest Jesus? And, uh, and, and, Jesus, and, and, and Jesus said, um, they, well, he was talking to them and he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they said, you're not even 50 years old. How do you talk about Abraham? He said, before Abraham was Yahweh. That's what he said. He said, ego a me. He said, ego, which is ego, is where we get it. I know who I am, and I am the I am. And that's when they took up stones to kill him. They wanted to kill him for saying that. Because he was claiming the very name of God. Anybody says Jesus never claimed to be God, does not understand. The Jewish people who were there knew his language. That when he said, I am, they knew he was saying, I am who I am. That it was the same phrase. And so, what... What Stephen is going to show them is that they rejected God's work in Abraham. He, verses 1 through 16. I, I tell you, it, I, 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 it frustrates me because there was so much that is going on here. But here's basically what he tells them is that Abraham obeyed God. God called Abraham, Abraham obeyed God, right? There's some textual uh, uh, things in here. If we were doing a Bible study, I would explain all of that. But don't have time. And Stephen is kind of summing things up, and I'm summing up what he summed up. So I'm telling you, this, is, this could go very long. But he says, God called Abraham, and Abraham obeyed, right? He calls him, he leaves his hometown. He calls him to, to sacrifice his son. Abraham just gets up to do it. And, and the Bible tells in Hebrews 11 that Abraham believed God so much, he knew that God would never want you to kill your son, so he believed that if he did kill Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. That was how deep Abraham's faith was. That's in Hebrews 11. You can read it for yourself. And so the New Testament gives us a hint into Abraham's mind. We couldn't know from the Old Testament what Abraham was thinking, but Hebrews 11 tells us what he was thinking. He's like, sounds weird to me, but if you want me to do it, I'll do it because you're going to take care of it and you'll raise him from the dead if I do it. And he gets up there and, of course, God didn't want him to do it. And he stops him and says, I see you're obedient. But Abraham was extremely obedient. And so the Jewish people, we're the sons of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs. And then, of course, Jacob had how many boys? Twelve, yeah, right? And plus one. And then 
what did the 12 dudes, or the 11, or the 10, 10 or 11, do to Joseph? Really? So these patriarchal fathers that you say are so godly and so wonderful that you're descended from, what did they do with the one that was like Jesus? Sold him into slavery. Say, so why is he like Jesus? Because the Old Testament does not reveal any sin in Joseph's life. There's no place where we can find where Joseph messed up. He obeyed God. He, was, he honored God. He lived his life honoring God. When he's falsely accused and put into prison, he honored God in prison. God gave him grace in prison. He becomes a, basically, prisoner, the, the prison chief said, you take care of it because you're better than me. And then years later, he gets to go back into Pharaoh's house. He's exalted to be over everything in the kingdom except Pharaoh. And he, and he does that to save his family because his family, God told Joseph, I'm going to send a famine. They're going to come to you. So he saves up food for seven years to take care of seven years when there'd be no food. And who had to show up? The ones in need, right? The ones who had sinned. What visit number did Joseph let his brothers know who he was? The second one. They rejected him on the first one. And accepted him on the second one. Any correlations popping into your mind? Jesus came and the Jewish people rejected him. And he said, you won't see me again until you see me and you say, where did you get those wounds? And I will say, in the house of my friends. He said, you rejected, you, you, you got, your fathers rejected God. The guys you like to brag about that you descended from, be it Judah or be it, be it um, uh, any of them. I can't get any of their names out now. There's, there's 11 of them. I can't even remember my own kids' names. They all rejected God. They rejected God's work. Abraham obeyed. but And, 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 and you think that makes it a big de- deal? Jacob's boys betrayed their own brother. They opposed God. And then he jumps to Moses. He goes, you didn't like Moses either. And, and beginning in verse 17, if, if you want to see it there. In verse 17, but at the time of the, as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. What God did is he chose a man, turned him into a family, turned the family into a clan, then put that clan under protective government uh, uh, protection until it could grow into a nation then put them into slavery so they wouldn't be satisfied living there and they want to go home so he could get them out make them the nation of Israel. Now that was God's plan. That's what, that's what we understand in hindsight. And he says, so the time of the promise is drawn near where he's going to deliver them out of Egypt and let them go home. And, but there arose a king, didn't know Joseph, verse 19. He dealt shrewdly with our race, forced them into slavery. At that time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And if you remember, at this time, uh, they are killing all male babies being born to Jewish women. And the midwives, fearing God, would not kill their babies. Obviously, our nation no longer fears God because we kill them at an alarming rate. Man, as a kid, I'd read that and go, how could anybody do that? And now we do it. And then Moses was born beautiful in God's sight. He's brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up 
as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in word and deed. But when he was 40, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand and in the following day appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, your brothers, why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? And they had to wait 40 more years before God would deliver them through his chosen man to deliver them. They rejected Moses, the deliverer. They liked to brag, Oh, Moses delivered us. Yeah, but you didn't like him. You rejected him. You get what Stephen is doing here? He's showing them that they're not as holy as they think they are. And their daddies weren't as holy as they thought they were. We always get in trouble when we think we're okay. You are not okay. I'm not okay. Only God is okay. Right? And we need God desperately and he's showing them this need. And at that retort he fled and he went to the land of Midian. And when, he was four, and when 40 years went by... God appears to Moses, sends him back to the people. And, uh, and he says, and as he drew near, uh, well, it's all about the, the bush. And, he, and God gives him a call in his presence. And Moses, verse 35, whom they rejected, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of an angel who is God, who appeared to him in the bush. And he led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt and the Red Sea and the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Moses points to Jesus. And that is found, by the way, in Deuteronomy Chapter 18 and verse 15. I want you to hear what Moses said. Here's the guy that, that they venerate. That they say, oh, Moses is our dude. Yeah, well, then why didn't you listen to what he said? I hear that a lot. Oh, I love this preacher. Do you know what he's saying? I'm not talking about bad preachers. I'm not about good ones. Oh, he's such a good preacher. Did you hear what he said? You're not living out what he's teaching you to live out. Why are you so excited about him? That's what he's doing to these guys. You love Moses? Well, here's what Moses said in Deuteronomy 18.15. They moved it. There it is. Everything that opens a womb of all flesh. Ah, I'm in numbers. Good night, Stuart. Find the right text. Exodus Deuteronomy, not Numbers. I'm going, wait, that doesn't make sense. What do you call the first five books of the Bible? The Pentateuch or the law, yes. Pentateuch means five, so that's, that's good. I knew a little girl. She said Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Moses predicted Jesus. And so when Jesus said, Moses saw my day and rejoiced, they said, you ain't 50, boy. And you're talking about Moses like that. He said, before Moses, Abraham was, I am. Because Jesus was there. Jesus led him to say that. And, and, and so they, he shows them that they rejected 
Jesus. Look in verse uh, 37, back in Acts 7. In verse 37, he says, This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation of the wilderness when the angels spoke to him at Mount Sinai. He goes on and says, and, and, and then he gave him, Moses the law, which, by the way, you claim to keep, but you also rejected. Again, he's showing them their sin against God. The Jews rejected God's work through the law. God gave living oracles. Listen, listen what he says. This is the one uh, who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Why would he use that term, living oracles? Because it's changeable? No, because it gives life. It has life in it. The Old Testament could not give us life, the old law, but what it did is it showed us the life of God, that God wants us to live, that he wants to empower us to live. And he showed us the law before he showed us the life so that we would know that we couldn't do it on our own. He says, this is the word of God. It's quick and powerful. And here's what he goes on. But he says, but your fathers refused to obey him. They thrust him aside in their heart. They turned to Egypt. By the way, if you obey, I, I keep telling you about like, we, we don't have to do it, and I love bacon. But do you know if you ate like the Jewish people eat, you'd be healthier? If you lived on the Old Testament dietary laws, you wouldn't get sick as much, and you would be a lot healthier. It's, it's just a fact. But notice what he says. Our fathers refused to obey him, thrust him aside, and in their hearts, they turned to Egypt. They wanted to go back to Egypt. Saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. When did they make an idol to worship? At the exact same time, God was giving them the law. The living oracles. If you obey these, you'll have life. And as God was giving those to Moses down at the foot of the mountain, they're making an idol to worship. He goes, oh, y'all want to brag on Moses now? Where were you when he was on the mountain getting the word of God? You were over there making idols to worship. Your fathers were. Our fathers were, actually. He uses the inclusive our until he gets to the end. Then he says, your. And so they rejected God's work through the law. And then they rejected him through the temple. Here they are at the temple. They, 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 there was no temple until Solomon. Y'all realize that. That was a long time. From Moses, from Abraham, from Moses to the temple was a long, long time. I, I don't have the exact years. I, I don't want to say a number because I might be wrong. But it was a very, very long time before God had a temple. And all the time when they came back into, into Jerusalem until Solomon, they had the tabernacle. They had the tent. And I know Pastor Randy, uh, he's, he's kind of an expert on the tabernacle, and he had a model of it and all that. And he, he did a lot of uh, teaching from that. And I appreciate that. I, I, I wish I knew what he knew about it. But there was no temple until Solomon. The temple they are so proud of right now is the number three. Solomon's temple was destroyed uh, um, Ezra went back and, and rebuilt one which was also destroyed and this is Herod's temple 
This is the one the government built for them. This is government housing for God. It is. And he goes, why are you saying? If that temple was so, such a big deal, why did it get destroyed? That's what he's saying to them. He's, and, and he goes on to say, God, don't, God doesn't live there because here's what one of the prophets said, Isaiah 66, 1. Isaiah 66, 1. I know where these things are. It's just this Bible's still pretty new and I don't want to wrinkle the pages. So I turn it more carefully. Isaiah 66, 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What is the house you're going to build for me? And what is the place of my rest? God says, you think you're going to make a house for me? Now, I appreciate the effort, but dude, (laughs) the stuff you're coating it with, I use as pavement in heaven. The best thing you got is asphalt to us. Is what God's saying in Isaiah 6, 6, 1. He doesn't say all that. I'm just kind of paraphrasing here. but Right? What did Jesus say to the woman at the well? Do we worship here or do we worship on the mountain like our fathers? At, at Jerusalem or in the mountain like my fa- our father said? He said, neither. God is spirit and truth. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The temple of God is us. And that's why Corinthians goes back and he says, he is making of us a holy temple. The bricks of the temple of God are human beings. We are the bricks in the temple where God dwells. And that's why I I emphasize to you because we've lost it so much. Christianity is not an individualistic thing. It is a group thing. It is a church thing. The church is the dwelling place of God. And we dishonor God when we don't get that, when we don't act like it, when we fuss and fight and fume and instead of just asking God to help us to understand and go forward with his will. Anytime we, we are at odds with each other, we are dishonoring God because we are where God lives. He doesn't live in houses made of hands. Stephen shows all that to him. <laughs> and then he gets to the point. Of application. Now, like I said, we could have stopped on any one of those topics and spent a week studying it. And then in verse 51, he says, You stiff necked people. And notice what he says uncircumcised in heart and ears. There is no greater insult he could have said. I mean, there is no foul word he could have used that would have cut them harder than calling them uncircumcised. And he says, you're uncircumcised in your heart, meaning you have no compassion or passion toward God. You're uncircumcised in your ears. They're clogged up. You can't even hear the word of God. That's quite, (laughs) he's he's getting to where, you know, the crux of the biscuit here. He's getting where the rubber hits the road. And he goes from saying, our fathers, to you. He says, you guys are just like your fathers. Remember, this is almost quoting Jesus. Jesus said, you're your father the devil. He said, we know who our daddy is. Who's your daddy? He said, I'll tell you who your daddy is. Your daddy is the devil. Because if, he, if, he, if your dad was God... You would rejoice in what I say. You would rejoice in what I'm saying and teaching. And you would rejoice that I'm here. But because your father's the devil, you're angry at me. You want to kill me. And 
and, and Stephen is almost directly quoting Christ in these words. Probably heard it from James and the, uh, the disciples who were with him when he said it. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. You're always resisting what God's trying to do. Now, here's what I want you to catch for your own sake. I'm not sure they even realized what they were doing when they were doing it. They just didn't like the idea, so they're, I don't like that. But that's because they weren't listening to what God said. Are you following me? How easy would it be for any of us to start doing what we think is better than what God has said we ought to do? See, that happens to us all the time, doesn't it? I'll speak to us as Baptists as we go forward. He says, your fathers ignored and killed the prophets. Which of the, fro- of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you killed. I mean, he steps it down. He shows them their whole history of rejecting God. And he says, you're doing the same thing because God sent the righteous one, the Messiah, and you killed him just like your fathers killed all the messengers of God before him. Now, we won't get to it today, but the next verse says, and when they heard these things, they were enraged. Instead of facing the truth, they reject it again. Sometimes just we get a good idea and we forget what God commanded us to do and we start doing what we think we ought to do. I would encourage us today to be careful not to reject God carelessly. I would encourage us today to to communicate with God constantly. Let God communicate to us constantly in his word. And communicate to him in prayer and have a conversation with God. Don't just tell God what you want. Ask God to speak to you through his word and open the word. Pray over with an open Bible. And then be ready to give a reason for your hope. Why is Jesus the Messiah? Why is he the righteous one? Stephen didn't even get into the apologetics of why Jesus is the the Messiah. That's probably... This is just a guess. The scripture doesn't tell us. I think he had another point in his sermon. I think he was going to say, you rejected this righteous one and he's the righteous one because, and he would have gone back through the Old Testament prophecies about Christ and laid that out there for him. But he didn't get a chance. They cut him off. They're mad. They kill him before he can talk about Jesus. But I want you to notice something else. This is the third time this council has heard the truth. They heard it from Peter and John when they arrested them. They heard it from all the apostles when they arrested all of them. And now they've heard it from this outstanding deacon who speaks the truth to them. And they reject it the third time and kill him. And then persecution breaks out through Paul after this, or through Saul at the time. So be ready to give a reason for your hope. You see, I had this thought. Why did Stephen know so much? And one of the reasons, I I tell you because the Spirit revealed it. He's learned from the apostles. But I think one of the reasons he learned it as a kid. How many of y'all grew up in church besides me? 
I grew up in church. Okay, some of y'all didn't, but most of you did. If you grow up in church, you hear all the stories of the Bible, right? We know about Genesis and the beginnings. We know about Abraham. We know about Jacob. We know about Isaac. We know about uh, the, the, the 12 kids. We know about going to Egypt. We know about Moses. We know about King David and King Saul and Jonathan. We know about David and the giant. We know about Jonah and the whale. We know all these stories. And then we come to the New Testament and we learn about Jesus and how he was born and, and how he lived his life and he died on a cross and rose again. And we know about the apostles and we're preaching through the book of Acts so we'll know even more as we go. But Stephen had come to a point somewhere in his life where the facts he knew he now sees with spiritual eyes. He knew the story of Moses. He knew the story of Abraham. He knew what happened in the wilderness and in Egypt. But now he's showing them that there's a spiritual reality to that. Did God not try to kill Jesus? I mean, did I'm sorry. Did the Romans not try to kill Jesus when he was born? Did not Egypt try to kill Moses when he was born? Was, was Jesus not raised by an adopted father? Was not Moses raised by an adopted father? Was, he not, was Moses not rejected by his people? Was Jesus not rejected by his people? Did Moses live his life as a martyr? Did Jesus go to the cross and die for us? And we don't know where Moses got buried, if he got buried. The devil wants to argue with Michael the archangel about that. Michael says, the Lord rebuke you. You're not going to get anything out of me. Because the angels hit him. But Moses appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And all of a sudden, the story of Moses, Stephen starts making them look at it in relation to who Jesus is. That's why I love the Gospel Project. It brings us back to Jesus every week. And so, you might be like me, grew up in a church, know the stories of the Bible. You name a book, I can get there. Because I know them by heart, in order. And as a kid, I used to have competitions with other kids to find them. Called a sword drill for those of you that don't know what that is. But when did it become a reality? When did I see it was spiritualized? That God has something for us to change us and to make us like Christ. And I... I hate to tell you this, but if you're just coming to church because you're supposed to, you're missing out on the best part. This morning, driving to church, and I don't always do this, but I flipped the channels on the radio. And I even went to AM radio, and I hit one that is usually the sports radio, because I was wondering what they were doing. And they were playing country gospel music. Which, well, it doesn't matter. And I was listening to a song sung by some quartet or family group. And they were doing it well. And so that's why I kept listening. It wasn't horrible. And I don't know how strong the whole message of the song is, but I heard the chorus. Every day, one day, it's going to be like Sunday. Soon, every day is going to be like Sunday. And then they start saying, it's Monday. No, it's Sunday. It's Tuesday. No, it's like Sunday. It's Wednesday. No, it's Sunday. You know, that's going to be reality in heaven. But it ought to be a reality for us now. In Christ. In the spirit. But if you do church as a duty. 
something to survive each Sunday so you can go back and do what you want to do, you're missing it. You're just missing it. God left heaven. Moses left his family. Jesus left heaven and put on an Adam suit and lived a perfect life and went and died on a cross in your place and mine and three days later rose from the dead so that you could have a relationship with God the Father. Not just laws on a mountain, but laws written in your heart.